China has been trying to kind of shift its economy more to a consumption base. So basically a Western model. So when you're looking at, for example, the U.S. economy, 70% of our economy is based on consumption. So U.S. consumer spending. Uh, China, for example, is more in the 35 to 40% range. Welcome to the Financial Commute, a weekly podcast that gives you the rundown on what's going on in the current market, how it affects you, and what you can do about it, all designed to fit into your commute. I'm your host, Chris Galeski, and each week I share the table with a knowledgeable guest, including Morton Wealth Advisors, fund managers, and investment analysts, to break down complex financial topics. Our goal is to provide you with the tools to help you navigate any market environment, leading to a path of more confident investing. Good morning, and welcome to another episode of The Financial Commute. I am your guest host, Mike Rudeau. Chris Koleski will not be joining us today because he is chasing around a little white ball. Um, but to join me as a guest today, we have Sasan Faiz. Sasan is the Managing Director of Investments at Morton Wealth. Sasan, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah, I've, um, it's been a pleasure to watch you guests on this show. I always enjoy your episodes, so I'm excited to be able to host it with, with you on board. Um, today, we, we wanted to talk about China. Right. We've seen a lot of headlines in the news about uh, the slowing growth in China's economy, whether it's the Washington Post, Bloomberg, um, New York Times. I've had clients that have reached out to me if they should be concerned about that. Um, so I thought we would take some time today and just talk about the impact of, of a slowing growth economy in China. And, and to put it in perspective for the viewers, um, I think GDP growth is expected at about 5% in China this year. Um, Global growth is expected to be just under 3%, about 2.8%, exactly. right? So 5% to 2.8% doesn't seem like that's that big of a deal. But when you when you peel that back a little bit, China was in a, a zero COVID environment last year. They, they were still under lockdown. So if you net that 5%, um, it's only really about a 3% growth that we're looking at. And if you look at pre-COVID levels, which I think we're going to get into in a little bit, um, they were at seven plus percent for years with a projection to you know exceed the US economy by 2030. So there is some things to unpack there. Yep. And you know, if there's no better person to talk to you about that. All right. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, that was a that was a great uh, introduction. I just want to maybe go back a little bit and talk about the maybe over the past 20, 25 years or so. As you mentioned, China has been growing almost double digits or high single digits. And the economy was more investment and infrastructure focused. So there was a lot of buildings uh, going on and China was more of a, a cheap labor for the rest of the world. China has been trying to kind of shift its economy more to a consumption base. So basically a Western model. So when you're looking at, for example, the U.S. economy, 70% of our economy is based on consumption. So U.S. consumer spending. Uh, China, for example, is more in the 35 to 40% range. So as China was building infrastructure and now they're getting into kind of a late stage urbanization phase, uh, they don't need uh, to grow their economy the way it used to. So a lot of stimulus that used to come into the uh, economy is no longer needed. And China has a very high savings rate. It's almost... 45%, so it's about 35% on the consumer side and 10% on the corporate side versus the U.S., which is about 20%. One reason why that money is not uh, 
moving into the economy and moving into consumption is that China's capital markets are not as well developed as the U.S. So in the U.S., we all invest in the 401ks and equities and so forth. Almost 50% of uh, our uh, savings goes into the equity market where this option is not available. So as you mentioned, that China's economy just reported uh, about 6.1% growth for the second quarter, but uh, you pointed out that they're coming from a zero COVID environment where almost most of the economy was shut down. So expectations was for almost 7%. And the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, uh, is has uh, China growing about 5 in the 5 to 5.2% to 5 range this year. So there's, there are a lot of headwinds uh, for China as far as the economy is concerned. But also there are there are some positives that that we can take as well. Yeah, I mean I I'd love to hear about the positives, and I'm not uh, by any means you know um, against China. I, I think there's a lot of opportunity in in China and, and other underdeveloped nations. But when you look at the headwinds, it's kind of overwhelming. I mean, if you look at um, just their demographics, you've got 20 percent or more of the younger generation unemployed. Mm -hmm. Right, and and that's that's a big number. That's three times, four times, you know, the average in in other developed and underdeveloped countries. You've got a ton of debt in local governments. I mean, similar to the U.S., you've got a ton of debt uh, in the real estate sector, and debt can be toxic. Um, it, you've got, you know, multiple headwinds coming at you at the same time. With that, you've got a, a shrinking economy in the sense that there are the there are um, fewer young people than there are old people, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and as far as GDP goes, you don't, we need, you know, a, a larger, a, a growing population for, for GDP consumption. So, I mean, how? No, I, I mean, those are definitely, the, I think, major concerns that you're, uh, you're mentioning. They're very valid, all of them, especially the demographics. That's uh, negative for China. It's also negative for most of the developed uh, nations. So the headwinds are there as far as the valuations in the capital markets are concerned. Valuations are fairly reasonable. So, for example, if you look at the MSCI China uh, equity market, it's setting at about 1.1 times sales and 1.1 times book value. So a lot of the these headwinds, a lot of these negatives, I think they are already priced into the markets. So... When we're looking at, when I talk about maybe there are some positives to look at, it's mainly on the valuations. I think the points about headwinds on the economy is, are very valid, but has the market already priced those in? And there was also the, the, another kind of risk factor that is geopolitics, right? The, when China's Communist Party kind of uh, gets into the business of companies and tries to tell them how they should allocate capital, and also there were geopolitical tensions with the U.S. where we had uh, Secretary Yellen and Secretary Blinken recently uh, traveled to China to kind of uh, calm down those tensions. And I think that the government there is, is starting to project an image that's more positive for businesses. And I think those are some positive uh, signals that we're seeing. So, so the headwinds are there. There are some positive developments and valuations are, are reasonable. So I don't think we want to kind of uh, look at the valuations as a turning point uh, in 
in a market doing better necessarily. But I think there are some positives that are going to kind of negate the, the headwinds that, that you mentioned. Well, it's interesting when you talk about that. But when you look at China specifically, we might have seen the market forward looking and, and see some opportunity for lower valuations and, and maybe a good opportunity to buy in. But what about the impact of, of China globally? When you look at other under, underdeveloped nations like Australia, like um, Brazil, right? These are countries that are um, heavy with exporting material, raw goods. And China's manufacturing is, is the number one buyer of those materials. And, and as a pullback in manufacturing, um, as we're seeing month over month China with slowing manufacturing, how is that going to impact development in the other countries and investing in? I think that's a that's a huge factor. I think, as you mentioned, China is now the second largest economy in the world, so they are a tremendous user of raw materials, uh, energy, and uh, and other materials. And Brazil, for example, as you mentioned, that's a big exporter. So, as China slows down, I think that has a huge impact on the global economy. Again, IMF, the International Monetary Fund, just came out with the global growth uh, projections for this year, about uh, 2.8 to 3%, as you mentioned. Uh, China is starting to slow down, so about 5% this year, going to about 4.5% next year. So I think the next emerging economy that's going to be dominating over the next maybe 10 years or so is really India. India... A contrast to China has a much younger population, so population growth is very positive. India also has a very well-educated uh, population, very very good in technology and engineering. And a lot of people think that just the population growth and just the demographics much positive is going to be uh, kind of making India the next China over over the next uh, maybe twenty years or so. Yeah. It is interesting. I mean, I know China had a um, a large part of their young population working for these big tech companies, making good livings. Um, and you know, the government stepped in and and did a regulation on big tech, and it, it pulled away a lot of the opportunity for the younger generation. Is it possible that India has something that comes like that? Is that ever a concern when you look at comparing the the two economies? Yeah, I think. Um India again is the largest democracy in the world, so uh, so I think the government is very positive on developing business and uh, so forth. When you look at China with the Chi Chinese Communist Party, I think there's always that risk, regulatory risk, also geopolitical risk uh, that that's not present when you look at India. So I think India has some benefits there as far as. The Let's shift cuts exactly that the, the the government is really pro business and China has not always been that way and you you always cannot read what the Chinese Communist Party wants to do. Yeah. So, from an investor's standpoint, when you see headlines like this um, with you know China's GDP shrinking, you're saying that you know there are some headwinds. There, there's definitely some some things to be worried about, but there's also opportunity because the market's forward looking. It's pricing in these opportunities. Are there any other things that we should be looking out for as an investor when we see these headlines? When, when we think about um, the the changing landscape and the fundamentals in in China's economy and the possibilities of you know a growing India? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, we're very invested uh, in a well-diversified portfolio globally, so we don't have an overweight to China, for example. Uh, we, we just don't think that that's, uh, that's a good idea at this point. Uh, but but we're very invested in China, the same as what the global equity markets are invested at the same weight. Uh, opportunities that we see right now going forward are more uh, in international markets and also in the... Uh, what what we kind of the two big macro factors that we've talked about in the past are deglobalization and decarbonization. So we think that's going to be very inflation going forward is going to be at a higher regime that we've had in the past 15 years. That's going to be positive for natural resource type companies. As we see, uh, you drive on the freeway, you see so many Teslas and kind of shift toward renewable energy, electric vehicles. Is going to be positive for industrial metals, and that's going to be a lot of uh, uh, kind of pricing pressure on, on 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 those type of commodities, and the companies that are involved in producing and processing industrial metals, we think they're going to benefit in the uh, over the next five years or so. So the areas that we're concerned uh, about and we like going forward are more in the natural resources space that we think that. There is actually a tailwind to benefit those kind of companies. Yeah, absolutely. I think investing in natural resources, right? Finite objects, things that you know you can't just produce more of when you want to. And um, I think that's a that's a smart play. Well, Sasan, thank you so much for your wisdom, your input. Um, I thought that was a wonderful conversation and very enlightening about the things to look out for as far as growth in China's economy. Um, opportunities in uh, underdeveloped and international markets. Um, I think as we've seen, you know, the, the market price is in all of the available information and, and there are a lot of international uh, stocks and, and opportunities um, that we see trading at a more favorable valuation than the U.S. Also looking at the opportunities in, in global resources and natural resources are things that, you know, as an investment team, you guys are looking at um, to help balance a portfolio and um, generate long-term returns. Um, anything else that you want to add to that before we wrap it up? No, I think it was a it was a great conversation. Again, we are not as positive on uh, on global economies and the equity markets, given that the valuations are a little bit stretched at this point. We favor uh, the uh, private lending space uh, as a firm. That's our view that private lending is going to be uh, is going to be a better position going forward. Uh, but we're still invested in equities, and within the equity space, as you mentioned, natural resources is our is our favorite sector. So, I appreciate being on the on this podcast with you, and look forward to more of these in the future. Yeah, me too. And and thanks for joining us for another episode of the Financial Commute. We'll see you soon. Thank you for joining us, and we hope this episode has provided you with a roadmap to feel more confident as an investor. To receive notifications about weekly episodes. Email us at financialcommute at mortonwealth.com.